welcome to Moonwise, a monthly podcast featuring conversations with women of power. I'm your host, Dorte Sophie Royal, and in this episode, we bring you my conversation with Brenda Salgado about the radical shift from mind to heart and how to stay focused on compassion in troubled times. I know that many of us in the U.S. are feeling quite shaken by recent events, and there's a lot of releasing of old patterns and history that we haven't fully dealt with. So before we talk with Brenda, we'll check in with Susan Lipschitz of Everyday Medicine Woman for our monthly forecast of lunar and astrological aspects so we can get some perspective on where we find ourselves in this time of change. Hi, Susan. So many people are hearing a lot of things about this powerful eclipse season that we're going through, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what this upcoming moon cycle is going to look like and what the stars might be telling us at this moment. My pleasure. Um, Thank you very much. And I want to say hello to all the beautiful Moonwise sisters that are listening in at this moment. I've been reflecting on all of the various different elements that are in play, and um, there are so many wonderful astrologers and um, uh, beautiful women that are offering their own interpretations around uh, the planetary uh, shifts that are in play right now. And so I wanted to really offer particular ones as it related to uh, a map for the month that I think might help us be able to navigate and uh, in our own particular ways. So obviously this is the long-awaited and anticipated north nodal total eclipse of the sun. This has not happened for 98 years, so that's one of the reasons it's considered quite a big deal. Uh, There are many interpretations as I spoke about for this event. For us moon lovers, this interpretation of the interception of the sun by the shadow of the moon offers a profound moment for self-empowerment and for evolution of our soul. One way to think about it is if we thought that the cosmic elders were looking out for us, that they're asking us to look up and to remember. And at a time when there is so much chaos going on in our country in particular, and remember this um, particular eclipse, the significance is that it is arcing over the United States. So there is way more significance to this on our country's um, chart and in the impact that it has for all of us that are on the soil as this happens. So if we think about our grand elders above um, really saying, look up, remember, remember that you are cosmic beings. Remember that there is not only the map in front of you, but a map beyond and a map above to help our mind and heart uh, really be able to move through these times and optimize this potent period for healing and for growth and to consider what this might mean, that we are a cosmic force, that we are beings that are connected to more than what we know. And that notion of as above, so below, as within, so without, really, really is so important right now because it is what's happening at the macro level of this time of upheaval and change is also happening inside of us as well. And yet it is inside of us is the only real change that can be made. It is the most direct way to influence the collective evolutionary moment we are living in. And so the saying, we are the ones we have been waiting for, was written for this moment. Because as we move back in in the most intentional level to our darkness, our moment of potency, 
all that is eclipsed, everything that is of light within us. We, as the, as the moon has totally eclipses the sun, and as the sun begins to peek its way back out, we can feel ourselves moving out as well, but more from an intentional point of view. How do we want to rise? And so I want to go over these key dates for you as they will create a map of wave or flow that you're being activated and influenced. And hopefully, you know, my hope is that you're going to feel an intentional wisdom of the cycle and you're going to feel more empowered and collaborative through the cycle. So um, again, we want to just acknowledge the obvious, but it can never be understated that the sun is the epicenter of life force and always whole just as though the moon is always whole going through her signs as well. So it is a stream of life-giving energy. And when this solar power is obscured, it creates a moment of disorientation. As we know, day becomes night, temperatures drop, birds lose their flight path, the world wobbles. And in that moment, we, we throw our own patterns off and the dark and the confusion can offer this reset. As old life forces gets cut off, the elements of our ego, our old karma, our wounds, and our resistance, we can consciously give over to the sacred winds to release and empty for a new life to be born. So I kind of think about it as in that dark, even if you're 86%, even if you can't even get out and see it or it rains, don't worry, it's energetically available to us. I want you to imagine that that dark might even represent a, cal- a cauldron or a deep ceremonial fire that has just gone out with a little bit of embers in there. And what we're Giving to that fire is really everything that we want to let go of that is eclipsing our our heart, our joy, our self-esteem, our belief in ourself and the world we want to live in, um, what we wish to offer to the world. So really go for it in that moment. And the key words that we want to think about for this cycle are release, separate from, align, empower, rise, shine, courage to be seen, heart consciousness. Um, and remembering, like, I, I was just feeling so much of sort of, you know, the, the, that moment where sometimes we do, or, or in um, times when we think about, uh, you know, ancestry, where the uh, elder, um, you know, uh, priestess would take out the obsidian blade and, the, and she would say, you need to, um, you know, separate and sever from something that is no longer alive that is connected to you. And so I, I'm being a little dramatic here, but saying, you know, we have aspects of our ego attachment to who we've been that we know is not letting us grow. And so whatever that might be to just say, for the love of my life, I want to separate this and let it go. It's a dramatic kind of concept, but it's really beautiful. And ancient astrologers would speak of the total eclipse as a dance between the sun and the moon. The one of my favorites is Demetra George, who speaks of this phenomena as the moon draping or throwing a veil over the sun to create privacy as this union or insemination of a new aspect of life is being created. So it again is a dance of the masculine and feminine and not in a heteronormative sort of you know, concept, but really more that the masculine and feminine lives within us and it lives celestially. And we want to have this dance be reunited. And we want to also think about if we're creating a tent inside ourselves, what would we imagine? What do we wish to direct this extremely potent creative energy towards in our life as the sun begins to re-illuminate once again? And are you prepared to foster it and nurture it? Are you ready to allow yourself to receive the special wonder of the self-expression, just like the sun when it returns to wholeness? Will you continue to eclipse your inner sun or let her shine? So I want to look at this big map for you really quickly in these key dates. Remembering, as we talked about, that last month we were zero degrees 
of Leo and beginning this two-month journey of activating our regal, heart-centered self. And um, Mercury, who many of us are familiar with, is the uh, rules communication, went retrograde on August 12th. And in this particular time, it's in mutable Earth sign, which is striving to assimilate information um, to help us move through this. So while this is often um, the bane of our existence is the Mercury retrograde that kind of can mess up our computers and our phones, um, this time I actually believe it's going to be our little hero because it's striving to help us ground. It's in an Earth sign. And Virgo is, um, there is a saying in Indigenous practice where uh, it speaks about that when you plant seeds, you have to grow those seeds. So you can talk about your philosophies and your dreams, but if you don't plant them and make them grow, they don't mean anything. It's a phrase that's called growing corn. And what's interesting is this is a corn moon. So again, I feel like there is a very, the earth is in this whole dance too. And, you know, earth mother is talking to us about this really be able to ground through everything that's going on. So August 21st, as this new moon in Leo, remembering that it's a north nodal, which is an invitation to grow into the new classroom. And um, it can take months and years to play out. So even though we experience it, it doesn't mean it's been activated. Right after that, on the 25th, Saturn, which is retrograde in fire sign Sagittarius, goes direct. And it's the timekeeper of our journey, and Sagittarius likes to tell the truth. It's a teacher. So I think we're, more is going to be revealed right there about what are we building in this new 19-year cycle. On August 29th, we have a waxing half moon in Sagittarius, more fire. And keep remembering that Mercury is still in retrograde. So it might bring mishaps, but at the same time, the oracle is going to continue to help us sort out and clarify. So the other, to me, juicy aha goosebump moment, remember, I love this stuff, is that on September 5th, Mercury goes direct. But as it goes direct, it goes direct as it backs up into 28 Leo. So it's the same exact moment that the eclipse is occurring. So at this eclipse point, and it may be when some of the lights actually go on within our soul and some understanding really shifts. And um, so again, uh, this moon cycle delivers us uh, into the new moon in Virgo. So again, um, I believe it's on September 20th. So Virgo again, Virgo um, is a beautiful sign of the Virgin. It's a sign of shifting martyrdom into sainthood and into wholeness under ourselves. So um, what I want to invite you to optimize this cycle very quickly is we talked about the tented inner space to become symbolically pregnant with a new possibility. Remember that this is the wisdom of the feminine coming forth. The moon, which is really featured in this, her dramatic ability to you know, have that cycle of the of the um, shadowing and eclipsing over the sun for this moment allows us deeply to move into our innate, intuitive, creative, raw, emotional, psychic powers to give them space to breathe and to express. So with all the chaos that's going on around us, what's really important is to summon and create a lot of space for ourselves every day in some way, like we're tenting ourselves to let this space come forward in a safe way, to remember what the lunar eclipse two weeks prior at that south node, as I talked about, demanded, that we need to empty the cup before we fill it, um, to honestly and completely surrendering to these questions of what we are letting go of, what we're throwing, as I talked about, into the fire of completion. What is your resistance to love and support, to judgment, 
doubt, shame, perfectionism, lack of deserving, body shaming, fear of success, and how about victimhood? I really would love us all to let that go into this moment. So this is a reset, and Leo is offering the courage to let it all go for love. Um, or as Michael Fronte says, give it all for the love. So my lunar sisters, remember to empower yourself. Dance with these evolutionary moments. They're scary. Keep a practice of self-care going. And um, another thing is to use as much as you can our beautiful tree um, uh, ancestors and elders out there. Everybody, no matter, no matter where we live, there is a tree that we have access to. Go to it, put your hands on it, feel the sap moving within, the river, the life, the, the connection into the earth. Let that beautiful tree teach you once again how to ground and how to be strong and how to look up. So I hope you enjoy this moon medicine moment and magic to you all. with Brenda Salgado, who is a spiritual and social justice leader with over 16 years of experience. Trained by Purepecha, Xochimilco, and Toltec elders in traditional medicine, Brenda draws on the healing power of the natural world to guide her work. She's the founder of Nepantla Consulting and is currently in the process of establishing the Nepantla Center for Healing and Renewal, an exciting project that you'll hear about in our talk. Brenda holds degrees in biology, developmental psychology, and animal behavior. She serves on the boards of Movement Strategy Center and the Lions Roar Foundation and is a founding member of Wisdom Women. She is also the author of a new book, Real World Mindfulness for Beginners, Navigate Daily Life One Practice at a Time. Hello, Brenda. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's an honor to have you, and I'm really excited to speak with you specifically at this particular moment in time, which is feeling uh, a bit chaotic and full of turmoil for, I think, a lot of us, both internally and externally. So thank you so much for, for speaking today. I'm thinking the way to start is really thinking about um, something I've heard you say before, which is that darkness is a gift. And also that these times we're working through are about a shift in consciousness. And I'm curious um, to hear from you about how we can kind of view these times through that lens instead of kind of going into fear and, and really hate, I guess. Yeah, it's an interesting time for me because I've, you know, both heard about and learned about indigenous prophecies from so many people and elders and from reading 
And so one of the prophecies is about uh, the eagle and the condor and things coming back into balance after a very long time of imbalance. Um, so yeah, I feel like, um, I feel very strongly that we're in a time where humanity's uh, moving into higher consciousness. Some people might call it that fifth dimensional consciousness or circle consciousness uh, or heart-based consciousness as opposed to being in our heads all the time. So many different uh, paradigms for understanding this level of consciousness, but definitely um, there's a lot about indigenous prophecy and the calendar times we're in that, that are connected to that timing. And I think one of the things is that nature has a lot to teach us. Um, if we want to plant a new seed, it, the seed needs to go into dark and fertile soil and its shell needs to be broken open for it to turn into a tree. Um, and what might feel like death to that seed uh, is really the fulfillment of its destiny. I've been really grateful that Spirit has given me a lot of analogies to help people understand the time that we're in right now. Um, one of those analogies was um, that the, this, I used to work at a veterinary hospital many years ago, and I really loved that experience. And one of the things that I remember is a, a cat coming in with a really infected arm with a lot of pus and a lot of infection. and we had to open up that arm and drain out the pus and the necrotic tissue in order to have that leg heal, that, that whole body of that animal heal. And I feel that's really analogous to what's going on now. In order for humanity to move into higher consciousness, we have to release all the lower consciousness, hate, um, anger, othering that has been part of our past, part of the founding of this country, the part of what we've done to each other, what our ancestors have done to each other. Um, so I feel like this time is very much about having that lower consciousness come up to the surface so it can be released so the collective body can heal. Uh, that's not to say that, you know, that animal isn't in some pain when that's going on, but they were in pain before you opened up and drained the pus too. <laughs> there was an infection. And so part of that releasing of that lower energy and having it come to the surface to be seen and released is really critical to us healing as a collective body. The other analogy I think that's been very profound for me that Spirit has given me to share with others is that, um, you know, if I were to come into the room I'm in right now and imagine that there's a rabid animal in the corner, I would have a lot of compassion for that animal because I know they're sick and I know their illness uh, means that they're going to die soon. And also that their illness makes them very delusional, afraid, violent, so many things. I don't hate that animal. I would have so much compassion for that animal. But I, And I also know my hatred isn't going to help in the situation. Um, but I also know I'm under no illusion that that animal is very, very dangerous and is going to cause harm because of that illness uh, to themselves and everyone around them. So... In that context, um, while I might have compassion for that animal, uh, I also know that I need to be careful because their illness makes them very dangerous. And so if my friends were to come into the room, I'd say, hey, FYI, there's a really rabid animal over there, and I want to make sure that you know that they're there. And no matter how kind we are and loving we are to them, in their illness, their illness makes them very paranoid and afraid. And 
there's nothing we can say rationally that will necessarily change that right now because um, they're not operating from a rational place they're operating from illness and so I'd want to protect my family and, and say, you know, we, got, we have to take care of each other and, and, and figure out what we're going to do about this animal that's dying. And how do we support this animal that's dying in a way that a doula might support someone who's dying um, to transition with as much peace and calm as possible to minimize the damage to that person and to everyone around them. So there's some real conversations we have to have for those of us who are standing on the side of love and seeing a lot of very sick people have some of this really low vibration come up in them. Some of that is theirs, some of that is their ancestors and healing work that they need to do, but if they're not going to look at it, um, it's going to consume them, this level of hatred that's coming up to be released. So it's an interesting time, like how do we band together so that we can respond with as much wisdom and clarity as possible right now and not sugarcoating that some of this consciousness that's coming to the surface is very, very dangerous, but also that our, um, our strength lies in banding together, understanding the very sick animals that are out there and making sure that we take care of each other, respond with love, but not just from a really naive place of love, a place of love that understands that people who are ill can cause great harm. Yeah, thank you so much for making that distinction, um, especially about compassion that also has boundaries and protection and a real clear-eyed look at, okay, this is a threat, but we don't want to necessarily turn to hate. How do we sort of protect ourselves and our own energy and kind of like stay in a healthy vibration when all this craziness is going on around us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was really grateful that a dear friend invited me to a gathering not long ago at Alice Walker's um, estate in California. And one of the reasons she gathered a lot of healers and teachers together a lot of community people. She said, you know, in these times where things are really dark and difficult, um, we don't just always want to be in the fight and in the fear. We also need times where we come together and then we eat good food and we dance and we are joyful and we celebrate the life that we have and we celebrate our community and that we love each other and that we're here together and that we honor the land that's holding us. Mother Earth has so much to offer us right now in terms of... Um, helping to hold some of our grief and sorrow or rage and anger and fear right now. I think a lot about just how uh, compost works, right? You know, when I have things that are not doing well in my refrigerator because we didn't eat it in time, my husband and I offer it to the compost bin. And the compost bin breaks it down and makes that beautiful garbage into rich soil that we use for our next um, part of the crops and he, br he even brings compost from other places you know from where he works and things to create new life out of the old so I don't want people to feel like they should deny their feelings of fear and rage but can we can we feel them and offer them to mother earth offer them to the ancestors to be transmuted and transformed um, and to remember that we have dignity love joy beauty in our lives and to cultivate that from these seeds of despair um, because I do believe that um, making the time for self-care as a collective um, and celebrating the life and the connection we have to each other in Mother Earth 
is helping to raise the vibration on this planet and is a direct response. You know, I know that Audre Lorde talked about that, that taking care of ourselves is, is an act of revolution. Um, so we don't want to do that from a selfish place, but we also know that we can't be in this for the long run, the transforming of the world. Uh, if we're not taking care of ourselves and each other, I also think about one of the messages spirit and ancestors have been giving me is that, you know, in the past I've been very much known as an organizer, an activist, a movement builder, uh, particularly someone who brings spirituality and groundedness into movement building through my work with Movement Strategy Center in the past. Uh, but I know spirit is telling me I, I, your work lies right now in the healing work with people so that they come back into their dignity and their power and they remember how powerful they are. And also that their strength lies in circles and in community. Um, and in building the systems that are going to replace the systems that are breaking down, the fear that you see from so many is that systems are breaking down and balance is being restored, whether that's around, among women or people of color or queer folks are coming back into their dignity and power. And that scares a lot of people that don't know what the future is going to look like and what that means for them and their families. And so the greatest gift we can have right now is start building the gift economy, building the healing and retreat centers that are going to take care of each other, that are going to return people back to wholeness, uh, teach about these higher consciousness levels so that we are in it together. Um, we need to be feeding that which we want to build rather than feeding the things that are dying. And I know that's really hard for people to, to be with right now. Um, the, the systems that are dying are really stoking up the fear and separation for us right now because they want to be around longer. And we need to stop asking the systems that are dying for permission to build the world we want. We need to just start building it together. introduce kind of like what does that what does leadership from the mind look like and what is this new type of leadership or community look like that's more based in the heart mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think for um, a long time our we've looked at models of leadership that were very triangular hierarchical there's someone in top in charge um, and then we've been increasingly think, seeing things move towards a system that uh, perhaps still has some of that, but isn't just looking at the bottom line, but is also looking at what's the impact on the earth, what's the impact on the people, what's the impact on future generations. So perhaps there's still some hierarchy, but the driver is not just money. And so that's the next level. And you might think about B corporations or... Uh, organizations that are you know really thinking about the environment as well as the bottom line as being a next level but there's also still even just past that another level that is very very circular and there is leadership within the circle but that circle is 
looking less at kind of these very linear models of, you know, I'm the boss and I have the ideas and um, I'm going to direct and manage everyone, tell everybody what to do, but is more really looking to support people to unleash their gifts for the collective. And their role is more to cheerlead for what the team is doing together, whether that's with funders or supporters, um, you know, and telling the story of us, as well as kind of setting these circles in motion where people are, have alignment around, I want to build a new gift economy, or I want to build a healing circle that does free healing for the community, and then setting those circles up and giving those people the tools to work in a more circular form. And then checking in with those circles periodically around where they're at with what they're building. And if they have a lot of ideas and a lot of energy around something they want to do together, then just helping to re flow resources to that circle so they can move on what spirit is calling them to um, and what they're co-creating together. And other times it means that you go to the circle and there's something stuck there energetically. They're not working well together. And then it's to help them move through some tools that help them figure out what the stuckness is trying to teach them and help uh, move through that block as something that is a learning moment for the circle uh, and then to break through that and go back to building what they want to build together. Uh, but that's a very different role from a traditional director or CEO. It's much more energetic and it's much more storyteller. Um, and very clear that when they're speaking on behalf of the whole, they're not speaking from my organization. It's more coming from the place of this is the story of us that I want to share with you. Um, and I think that's a really powerful place because I think it involves a lot of really ancient indigenous ways of leading. Um, with a lot of leadership comes great responsibility um, to constantly be cultivating other leaders and knowing that the collective wisdom holds more wisdom than any one person alone, no matter how wise they are. And that really flies in the face of what many of us grew up with and how we've been conditioned to think about power and authority and um, where we need to get our permission, like you were saying, to actually make change or step up in the world. You know, I've, I've noticed that in recent times, indigenous peoples have been stepping up more and more in the mainstream consciousness as leaders defending lands and um, peoples. And do you feel that now is the time to be looking towards women and indigenous peoples for how to move forward in this great transition? Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like um, Standing Rock was a really powerful example. I feel like there's lots of women's circles I'm being called into. I, you know, helped found Moon's Rising Women's Circle uh, four years ago and Spirit and Ancestors led me to do that. And then I also got pulled into something called Wisdom Women, uh, which are women who uh, know it's our role to, you know, help fix and balance this world. And they're not asking for anyone's permission. They're just getting into councils, talking about what they're going to build that's different from what we have now. Um, so I feel, and then I've also been part of spiritual, small spiritual leader conversations that are looking at this space uh, between spiritual traditions and interspiritual folks uh, that can walk between worlds in these very circular ways that have great wisdom and leadership, but they also know they want to do it in circle with other people. So I see it happening everywhere right now. 
And that's the only thing I'm attracted to. <laughs> I'm not really interested in, in some of the old models or being placed in those old models myself. Um, I think about Standing Rock in particular because I feel like um, there are many young activists I know who went there uh, and there have been, you know, sharings from some of them that said, you know, I've been fighting for a more just, more equitable, more loving world for so long as an activist. And I realized that I never really understood what it felt to belong in this way until I was at Standing Rock where everybody had a role where women were doing water ceremony, men were doing uh, the sunrise fire ceremony that young people were leading the trainings for the actions um, that people were building things for the elders and the attention to telling people everything you do here is a prayer whether you're cooking for someone whether you're building a lodge you know a, a lodge or a yurt for one of the elders or you're chopping wood that everything has to be done as a prayer um, and that everyone has a role to play here this isn't camp it isn't you know, a place to just chillax. It's this, everyone's coming here to work and to serve each other. Um, and everyone has a gift. So find out what your gift is and run with it. Um, and that there is no one person whose gift is better than others. Um, I think that Standing Rock modeled that really well. And a lot of young people I know that went said, oh my God, this is the first time, time I've really experienced or felt or the world that I really want. And I don't want to go home because I don't have this at home. We're still in the isolated story back home. Um, so I think that was a really powerful thing. And we need to get people in those experiences more often in their local communities, not just having to travel far away to experience that level of belonging. Because that's what people are hungry for. And when they don't have it, uh, they feel very powerless. Um, I also think that, you know, so the other thing I'll say about the indigenous, one of the indigenous prophecies, there's many. One is the prophecy of the eagle and the condor that was foretold 500 years ago by elders in South America and saying that we're entering this time of great imbalance. And so for a lot of indigenous peoples and particularly in that tradition, um, saying that all people have to be in balance. So there's the wing of the eagle which is of the masculine, the intellect of action in the world of doing. There's the wing of the condor, which is of the masculine, of the heart, of the love, connection to Mother Earth. Um, that every human being is supposed to cultivate both parts of themselves, regardless of your gender identity. Everyone has those parts and should cultivate both, as well as honor both in their community and have reverence for the different roles that people play and the balance amongst them. And... They foretold of a time that people were who were unhealthy and imbalanced towards the eagle and eagle in an unhealthy way. The masculine, the domination, the action, you know, uh, we're going to take over the world and virtually decimate the condor people and the people who are imbalanced out of existence. And that after 500 years time, a time would come where those wings would fly in balance once together again. And I know that that's the time that we're in. And those 500 years have passed. Uh, indigenous peoples from all across Amer the Americas have been running ceremony every four years, laying down these prayers for indigenous peoples to come back to their indigenous ways of knowing, 
to take back up that culture and their ceremony, um, to come back and to balance themselves. And so that their prayers coming down and them coming back into balance could actually help heal the world um, and come back into one family, one sacred hoop of humanity where all colors are family. That is, these medicine bundles were gonna need to come out at this time in order to help people come back into balance. Because the truth is all of our ancestors, regardless of where you're from, knew how to be this way. And I do believe like some of the elders I've heard talk, which has been really helpful to me, talk about how this uh, imbalance suppressed the sacred feminine and the women of medicine, the women who had connection to mother earth, um, you know, so many years ago. And that suppression there meant that the men no longer were in balance. And they spread that illness all over the world. And that has been damaging to women being in their power for sure. It's also been damaging to men because they've had to turn off parts of their humanity in order to be this way. I speak to many men, young and old, who know that they are a whole being but feel like they have to suppress their wholeness in order to survive in the world of toxic masculinity. And they don't want to do that anymore. Um, they don't know where the safe places are to do their own healing, their own coming into their warriorship in a way that is responsible for the whole and in partnership with women. Um, so, you know, I know that whatever ism you're talking about, whether it's racism, sexism, all of these isms, they cause harm to the oppressed as well as the oppressor. And we need to bring that back into balance. Everyone needs to become whole again. Right. And the image that comes to mind um, from Standing Rock is um, when Aunt Pua from Hawaii came in to the main circle. Um, and when she walked in, she requested to have some men surround her and her daughter when she was coming in and singing. And wow, I'm just like about to burst into tears just thinking about it. But she said, you know, we need the men to protect our hearts so that we can open our hearts fully and really be here and I just thought that's such a beautiful vision for how things could be. I'm really glad you brought that example up because I feel like there's been a couple of folks that I've heard that from in the indigenous world. Um, I know Penny Opal Plant called a number of indigenous women into tobacco ceremony several years ago on Mount Tamalpais and you know I, I came to that call and I remember she had an elder come I think from Ohio, he's a wonderful man, and, and uh, they asked for the indigenous women to be the, in the inner circle, in their skirts, in their ceremony, and then women who were not indigenous circling around them, and then women, and then men around that circle. And I know this elder spoke, and Penny spoke of the fact that women were going to need to take up their staff of power speaking on behalf of Mother Earth and the future generations that they, as they have in the past um, to do their healing work, to do their ceremony work, to bring balance back into the world. And that uh, we were gonna need strong, healed warrior men to hold the perimeter so that the women are not disturbed as they're rebalancing the world. And then that was a very sacred act they were to take because men who are unhealed are very threatened by women coming back into their power. But men who are in their power and um, in their knowing um, are not threatened by that. 
and they're in partnership with that. And so I know that's part of the new consciousness that, um, that we're moving towards. How, what does it look like to be in balance and respect and, and then, uh, you know, similarly, I know, um, I've heard Larry Mercurioff talk about this a great deal at Bioneers and other places around this need for men to be in sacred partnership with the women coming into power and balancing things and bringing ceremony. So I do know, you know, um, there's a role for men who are doing their, their wholeness work to be in partnership with women coming into their wholeness. Um, and that's a good thing. It's a very good thing, and we need to create the spaces where we're teaching everyone of every gender because there's people who are two-spirit, and they have a lot to teach us too because they, in a lot of olden cultures, the people who were two-spirit were often the medicine people, often the ones you know already in that sacred balance and, and receiving a lot of messages from spirit on what was needed in that time. Uh, so we really need to to trust in everybody's capacity to bring gift and beauty in this time and to support them to do that and to do that in circle and in partnership. And I love that you shared that about Standing Rock because I I know that women have powerful work to do and I know they're supposed to be partnership with those men who are awakened. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so helpful to, like those young people you mentioned, we're saying to actually feel and experience what this new paradigm is the one that we're working for because if you haven't felt it or seen it or experienced it it's hard to know what's on the other side of um some of this dismantling yeah and i and i have so much empathy and compassion because when i was younger i was really angry at the men in my family i had a lot of resentment because the patriarchy that was you know, brought into Nicaragua where my ancestors are from, that was taught to my parents, that they were both taught and then perpetuated, you know, it's not their fault. That's many generations of training and harm that began way long ago. And so I know many years ago I started uh, doing healing work around my relationship to my father and creating safe, because I was in my power and love I created some space for him to open up around his trauma and it changed forever our relationship. Um, and around that time, there was a lot of healing that started happening between me and my husband as well. Cause I saw how that unhealed relationship impacted the way I was relating to him and his sacredness. And around the same time I was being called to lead a lot of boys and men of color work and wanting to bring in the men doing rites of passage work and retreats and uh, sacred masculinity work from an indigenous perspective or a African-American perspective. And the power of that for our young men, I remember we held a, a gathering for, for folks in Oakland and all these kids came and there was one particular workshop we did where we had all colors of the medicine wheel talking about, you know, these four men who represented the four colors of the medicine wheel talking about, you know, what is, what is the masculinity we're raised with in this modern context and what do our ancestors teach us about sacred masculinity that we've forgotten and kind of dissecting that. And I remember a young man in that thing saying, um, I know that list of the sacred masculine from our indigenous elders 
at one time. I know that's the truth of who I am. But the conditions I'm being raised in required me to be this other thing in order to survive. And I need you older men to heal and provide more spaces like this where I can be free to be whole and vulnerable and strong and powerful and beautiful and, you know, um, all these things. I know I need more spaces like this because I've not experienced this before. And I know that's part of the work too, is uh, creating spaces for people to unpack what no longer serves them. Wow, and this brings to mind something that I know you've worked on as well is initiation ceremonies for young people, which is something that I feel our our dominant culture is definitely missing, um, welcoming people into womanhood and manhood and really teaching them their sacred role in this web of life, basically, how to be a human being on planet Earth. And um, yeah, what are your thoughts on how we can create more spaces like that and for those of us who don't or maybe been disconnected from our tradition of doing those initiations um yeah how do we move forward in that way because i know i have nieces and um, nephews that i'm like oh my gosh i would love for them to have some kind of honoring just that like acknowledge like hey you know the elders in your community see you we see you for who you are we love you and we we welcome you into this community life and, and rejoice in the gifts you're bringing us. And it just breaks my heart that we don't have those experiences right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an important point. Um, we as a society are really afraid of change and of death and transformation um, because a rite of passage is, you know, uh, can represent death and rebirth. You know, we go through many deaths and rebirths throughout our lifetime, that's a sacred thing, just like the trees drop their leaves and they come back the next season, you know, with the next uh, fresh set of leaves. That's a natural part of life and it's one for some reason our culture is super resistant to. Um, you know, we see it in the plastic surgery and the, and the shaming towards elders and how we want to put them away and not look at them and not see them as the wisdom keepers they are. So there's a lot there. Um, and I think for young people in particular, it's such an important age, that transition in the teenage years. Um, I, I read a really wonderful book by Richard Rohr about rites of passage for young men, and it was really interesting because he talked about when he traveled around and looked at different cultures that all of them had rites of passage for young men. Some of them did for young women and some of them did not. And he asked about that. And a lot of them said, well, women go through a death and rebirth every month uh, because of their moon cycle. Um, so they're used to that. They're also around childbirth and death and the birth of life. So they're initiation, initiated into that knowing already. But young men need to be taken away and taught that because it isn't part of their biology. Um, and acculturation. So that was interesting to me. The other thing he said about initiation rites around the world for young men was that there were these common themes of going off into nature, um, being led there by other uh, other men who have been previously initiated um, so that they have some role models that way. Uh, that they're away from the comforts of home and being taken care of. Uh, and that it... Uh, they're, at, they're really asked to look at their emotions, confront them, and work with them in an adult way uh, to not suppress them, but to work with them responsibly, to confront their mortality. Um, uh, 
and to make this real shift from being a child where you're taken care of and you're kind of more self-centered and stepping over some threshold into adulthood, manhood, where you're now responsible for your community, the children, the women, the elders, that you are this warrior that's willing to lay your life on the line if you need to, to protect the next generation. Uh, and that there's tremendous honor in that. And to, you know, I think any rites of passage too really involve the space of looking back at the place we're leaving and having a lot of gratitude for that time and the gifts it gave us and the things we learned and to acknowledge our grief that we're leaving that phase. Um, because sometimes it is scary or sad to know that we're leaving the phase we've been in and, and that is comfortable to us. And then stepping over some threshold that the community acknowledges into your next phase of gifts, opportunities, learnings, and your next phase of challenge and learning, uh, that it's a normal part of development to grow and develop and, and go into new phases. And so what does it look like in modern context? It's been so different, you know, obviously there's ceremonies where you take women, you know, on a retreat, and that's always really important to be witnessed by other women when you're going through these transitions. I know I want to plan an eldering ceremony uh, when I'm 52 with the women in my moon circle, so that's a couple years away yet. What a simple form that took recently, uh, a few years back, a friend of mine um, was telling me she wanted to do a red party for her granddaughter who was coming of age and um, coming into her moon cycle. And it was really lovely. We gathered a circle of women who know this young woman, have known her since she was a baby. Um, we also gathered some younger women who are friends of, of hers. Um, and we... We, had, we were in a circle, we drummed and sang songs and read poems. People were invited to bring things that they could share in the circle. We also put a lot of flowers on the altar of different sorts. And then we went around the circle and, and for anyone who was currently, you know, menstruating in their womanhood, you know, whatever you want to call that in their moon cycle, or who had passed into menopause already, so someone who's older and has experienced being part of womanhood and was not considered a young girl anymore. Um, we went around the circle and asked them to share a few things. And one was, uh, what do you really love about being a woman? What do you want to share about that you bring find great joy and relish in being a woman? And then secondly, what's one uh, piece of advice you want to give her about her womanhood? And then the third was, what's one blessing you want to give her? her for her womanhood, one, one intention or blessing you want to speak aloud into the circle. Uh, and it was a really powerful circle. Um, many of the women cried really deeply when it was their turn, in part because they had never experienced something like that before. And they had said to me, when I came into my moon cycle, I was so afraid, I thought I was dying. Or I came into my moon cycle and my mother just handed me a, a bunch of Kotex and told me, well, you know, here's what it is, and very matter-of-factly told them about it. Um, so many different experiences, but they, none of them felt this sense of pride and being initiated into something. Um, it was either kind of shame, fear, confusion, all these things. Uh, and all, a lot of them also really remarked that they had never been asked in a circle of women what are you joyful about? What do you relish in being a woman? Those are some great gifts we have. 
And they said, you know, most of the time when I'm in circles of women, all we're doing is complaining about what's wrong or what we hate about being a woman. And I've never really gotten to reflect on what I love and to celebrate and be joyful. Um, so it was a really profound circle for that because I realized just how deep this need is for us to really honor each other. And then I would say also for teens who really need to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, of ident uh, you know, identity beyond their parents and being taken care of to something where they feel part of something larger and, and have a role. Because we don't have modern initiations that are healthy and connected to the land and connected to initiated elders, then you have other forms that meet that very deep fundamental spiritual need for young people that usurp that for other reasons, whether that's gangs, military, sports, that sense of belonging, that sense of coming into your warriorship, uh, that sense of initiation. There are many other modalities that tap into that need at that young age that are not fully helping people become their whole selves and find their gifts for their, their community or they're limiting what that looks like. Um, and so in the absences of us providing that for them, they're going to find the things that do, even if they're not healthy for them. Right. Right. And, you know, I've been coming to the conclusion recently that being a woman and really loving yourself and trusting your own intuition can be one of the most radical revolutionary things, like you said, and to have, you know, a generation of young people who could have access to that, that sense of pride in who they are. Um, it could really be a different world. So, yes. And with such, even a simple ceremony, like the one that you're describing is the circle of people and, and their stories. And there's not even much more that you need to do besides share in a circle like that. The circle is so powerful uh, for witnessing each other. And we really do have to learn how to be in circle because most of us have not been trained how to be in circle in a good way uh, with each other. So, you know, many of us have. I mean, experienced that in the indigenous community and the moon circle, but most of the world outside of that, I don't experience it very often. Right. It's not how our, our schooling or institutions are usually set up, even physically the way that we arrange chairs and things like that it's yeah 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 I have a hard time I, like I, even when I teach it's like I want everybody in a circle right okay and uh, yeah when I became director of this organization a few years ago I'm not there anymore but I remember we had our first board meeting or board staff retreat and you know one of the people on the board was helping me set up the room and they wanted to set it up that theater style with me at the front with the put your paper and all that stuff. And I said, you know, no, I want us in a circle. Mm. And she said, but you know, you need to come in and show your vision for the organization. And, and I said, I can do that from within a circle. And it sends a very powerful, energetic message. Oh, well, I'm so glad that we brought it back to circles, which is what we kind of started the conversation with. And I know that we, we only have a little bit of time left, but I want to make sure to, to talk a little bit about your work with the land and that, um, that way that you're working with rebalancing and that others, you know, across the country and the world are working. But um, I know that you have a particular project that I want to make sure that our listeners get to hear about. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. 
Um, so, you know, I'd like to start the story from talking about how the land called me because it's important to the story. Otherwise, people just think it's something that I, my ego is telling me to do. Um, so many years ago, when I was still at Movement Strategy Center, there was a set of trees that kind of kept calling me to come up there and do sunrise ceremony and to receive guidance up there. And, you know, I, you know, I thought, well, I don't, I don't really know if, uh, where that land is. And I just kept on driving up, but I would get the message over and over again. So I finally got myself up there and, you know, it was this really beautiful ridge trail, um, with a view of the bay and Lake Chabot. And I got so many beautiful messages while I was there. I said, thank you for coming. Thank you for making the offerings to the land. Um, you need to start a women's moon circle. So that's when Moon's Rising started shortly thereafter. Uh, you need to um, start a free community healing clinic where you offer free energy healing of different sorts to the community. So we did that for several years when I was still at Unity San Leandro on the board there. Um, and we did that as long as we still had that space. And at some point uh, that ended and... Um, we haven't picked it back up, so that's an issue with related to land and space. Um, and just a lot of guidance around how to come back into my intuition, how to, to support me coming back into my intuition as a woman. Um, so that was really a gift. But the other thing that the land told me at that time was that many years from now, you're going to be purchasing, being gifted, you know, by community, this very large piece of land that's very close to here that is meant to be a place where people return to this old wisdom of circle being connected to the earth ceremony, you know, the balance of the masculine and feminine, the coming into the 5d consciousness, you know, um, and, you know, coming back into their wholeness and it will not be tied to one tradition. It will invite teachers who, uh, know this wisdom from all around the world to help people come back into their humanity this way, to do rites of passage work, all this. And so I was really grateful to hear that. And Spirit told me, you know, you need to talk to your husband about it because he needs to understand that this isn't land that you're going to personally own, it's land that you're going to steward uh, because that's the indigenous way. Those who are stewarding are stewarding for the whole, not for themselves. And so I was really honored by that, and the land, and I was told the land wouldn't come for many years, and to just be prepared when it does come. Uh, so you know, I went about doing my work, really grateful, periodically going up there and doing ceremony, particularly you know on solstice and equinox with the women's circle, and with and sometimes with men as well, invited to that. Um, and then just very recently, the land made itself known to me. Uh, it's a 58-acre piece of property that has has been on sale has recently been taken off sale uh, so I know it hasn't been sold yet uh, but it used to be a rock quarry for over 80 years and, and when I went when I finally was told that that was the land it hadn't been on sale before when I first got the message um, I was really grateful because I was leaving a job and about a month after I left that job spirit said the land is on sale for the first time in a hundred years you need to look online and there it was and so I've gone and done ceremony on that land as well and made offerings to the land a lot of direction around this is going to be this healing retreat center it's also going to be a place that houses healers activists artists that are contributing to this time of the new consciousness and uh, people who have been demonstrated over time their commitment to gift economy and serving all people not just the wealthy um, and that are committed to this mending of the sacred hoop of humanity across difference
uh, th- those people are getting squeezed out of the Bay Area and can't afford to live here anymore. So we're supposed to house some of those people there that are making this commitment to the new world and uh, helping people, shepherd people into the higher consciousness. Uh, so I'm really grateful for that, that clarity of message. And the land was very clear before you build anything here, you need to do healing ceremony on the land with indigenous people and women because this is a place where the land has been raped for so long and needs healing before it begins to heal others. And then the other interesting thing for me right now is that there's a woman in my women's circle who also has a three acre property that abuts to over a hundred acres of protected part land right behind it. Um, that has been getting this message since, uh, uh, for, since at least 2007 as well that her property is supposed to be converted for the similar thing, for gift economy, for healers, for um, these people who are ushering in this new time. We both got the message independently of each other that these places were going to be arcs um, and centers of great learning and healing. Uh, and her property is in foreclosure right now, and I know we're supposed to buy that property as well uh, because there's the, supposed to serve as the two-anchor retreat and healing spaces to begin with, and that they'll become the beginning of a regalo land network, uh, a real estate network of properties that are set aside for this purpose, to help usher in this new time for humanity, uh, and to help people make this transition. So I'm really honored to be serving in that role with other people. We're creating the circle of stewards that would help to hold that space. But I know what we urgently need right now is money to buy those properties. Um, one million for one property, which I said again is three acres and it's off in the hills and in the wilderness and abuts to a lot of um, property behind it. And then the 58 acre property, um, both of them have great healing energies about them that'll help people. Um, they both were places where rock quarries were before, so there's something really significant about two different women being called by that land to convert it into this healing space. Um, and there's an urgency around particularly the, the three-acre property that abuts to the parkland because that one is in foreclosure. Um, and I know it's supposed to be purchased for the network as soon as possible. So anyone who feels it in their heart, particularly people of privilege who have a lot of money and feel like they know they're supposed to gift something right now in order to give back to this balance, um, their donations are tax deductible through nepantla.org. Um, yeah, there's, this is a time we need to rebalance the world, and it means moving property into the hands of people that will shepherd this healing for all of humanity. So for listeners who are feeling frustrated and wanting to turn their attention towards the world that we want to build and contribute to something beautiful this is an amazing opportunity and i'll make sure to put a link in the show notes so that people can find more information easily yes yes yeah and i and know that there's a lot of traditional medicine that will be these medicine bundles that will be released for humanity in those in those locations for those who are ready and willing to work together to heal as a circle and a circle that includes everyone these places will be a center for that, and your your donation will have a huge impact for many generations to come in ways that you can't understand right now. If you were called by Standing Rock, if you have been called by 
these things that are really trying to shift the energies from a place of healing and wholeness rather than anger and, and destructiveness, uh, this is a great place to invest your time and money. Beautiful. And for people who are interested in learning more about your work, Brenda, or, or working with you um, via a session or a workshop, um, can you tell us a little bit about your offerings and where people can find you online? Yes, yes. Uh, so if you want to learn more about me specifically, Nepantla Consulting, N-E-P-A-N-T-L-A, and this is a little bit more about that indigenous word on the website if you want to know more about it. Um, that is a place where you can find out where to do healing work with me. I've been seeing a lot of people coming to me for limpias, which is a traditional energetic ancestral healing session to release their trauma and their past ancestral trauma so that they can be in their power and their service right now to humanity. Um, we all are here to play a role right now. And so I've been doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one healing with people who want to clear so that they can be in service right now and to learn energetic protection so that they can be grounded as all the chaos around is happening. So I'm, I'm honored to do that work. Um, I see people at my home in San Leandro for that work. I'm, at some point I'll start doing remote healing, but at this point I'm seeing people primarily in person. The moon circle meets on the new moon and the full moon every month and some just really powerful women coming into their healing and power there. Um, I do speak and I love to be invited to speak around indigenous prophecy, around mindfulness and meditation, around women and empowerment in this time. So many different topics. So I recently did a, I've been doing talks at mindfulness conferences because I just had a book come out on mindfulness for beginners. So that's available online, real world mindfulness for beginners. Um, I think it's really important to spread these messages far and wide. So I've been speaking at universities. I've done uh, commencement addresses. So really love invitations like that to be able to speak and share around the wisdom of the ancestors coming through at this time. Um, so a lot of that you can find on NepantlaConsulting.com. And then for the healing centers and uh, the land that we want to buy, I encourage people to go to Nepantla.org, N-E-P, antla.org uh, to learn more about the land to make donations to purchase the land well thank you so much brenda it's been such a pleasure and so enlightening and calming to <laughs> hear from you today thank you so much for being on the show thank you for this opportunity and this invitation i'm really grateful thank you for listening to this month's episode of moonwise it feels really important right now to gather as community and create media that's nourishing and counters the mainstream messages that we're being inundated with. I really hope this episode brought some beauty and inspiration to your day. And I'm so glad that Brenda spoke about women gathering to share wisdom about their monthly cycles. If you're interested in learning more about how to celebrate your cycle, I'm giving away a free PDF booklet with inspiration and daily practices for the four phases of your monthly cycle. All you have to do is sign up at moontent.co and you'll also get access to bi-monthly emails about new podcast episodes and other treats to brighten your day. Also, please rate us on iTunes and write a review if you haven't already. Your support means so much. Our theme music is Butterflies March by Sophie Cooper from her album Rewilding, available on Bandcamp. 
In this episode, we also featured her beautiful song, Mas Allah, so definitely check her out. Good luck this month, and I look forward to connecting with you again on the next new moon. Cada de tus relaciones, cada de tus creaciones, donde vibra todo tu amor, más allá, más allá, más allá, tu amor, más allá, más allá, más allá, el amor. Más allá, más allá, más allá.